All right, I want you to take a look at this next picture. It's a picture of a football game. And raise your hand if you know what year it was played. Don't say it, just raise your hand. You guys ready? Go. Raise your hand. John, what do you got, bud? 88, way to go. Anybody else had 88? I got three more. I'm a very generous person. Ray, you can have one just for looking good. Yeah. Johnny boy, there you go. Michael. I still have more where that came from. Yeah, this was the Fog Bowl. There's like 10 different games in the history of the NFL that were really affected by weather. And this was number three. It was between the Chicago Bears and the Philadelphia Eagles. It was an NFL playoff game. (laughs) We actually, Peter Goss was at that game in the first service. I was just blown away. He was actually at that game, and they couldn't see. Who else was? Phil, were you there? All right. (laughs) Tell us how it was. Huh. <laughs> kind of like the wave, huh? That kind of like the wave, right? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's, I'm really surprised again uh, that we have a person who was there who experienced that. And again, the fog rolled in, and in the second half, it was really bad, where uh, people, again, like Phil, uh, couldn't see much. If they came down toward the field, they could see a little more, maybe the sidelines. But you've got coaches trying to communicate with players that they can't see, and receivers trying to catch a ball that they can't. See, and you can only see from maybe 15 or 20 feet. But who won, Phil? The Bears, that's right. Amen to that. 20 to 12. They're going to come through. When you think about fog, let me give you an illustration. Let's say you have a seven-city block area, and it's covered with fog. It's 100 feet deep this fog. Now, if you're able to take all that fog and put it into one container that is made up of water, obviously, how much water would you have? Less than a cup of water. At 60 million drops of fog that makes up less than a cup of water. Fog is such an excellent example of what anxiety is like. When you're anxious, when you're struggling, full of fear, it's like you're trying to play a game in the fog. You're playing the game of life, and everything is blurred, and you are really stressed out. But God doesn't want that for us. Last week we talked about how to break free uh, from fear. You can always listen on our uh, podcast, on our webpage. 
this year we're going this day we're going to focus on financial fears. And here are the three top financial fears. First of all, never being able to retire. Now that's a big one. Again, if you study this, you'll find out that probably I don't know, 70% I think it is, we're not ready to retire from the ages of 55 to 64. Always living paycheck to paycheck. Well, that's the American way, isn't it? That's how we live in America, right? We live on on debt. Again, no, not the best way to live. A living in debt forever. I know some of you feel that. <laughs> I'll be paying on my debt till I die. Yeah, debt is a real problem. The average American has about $15,000 on their credit cards. And, and, of course, school loan, you're taking away like $30,000 on the average graduating uh, from college. So there's all this debt. Now, I know you're thinking, I should have skipped today. I'm not feeling real well. <laughs> That's the last thing I want to talk about, right? But I want to tell you, I'm here for your encouragement. I don't care what your situation is, you will walk out encouraged. And if you're not encouraged by that point, come to me and I'll make sure you're encouraged. It's guaranteed. (laughs) Because God is the one who delivers. The Sermon on the Mount is a sermon that Jesus gave on the hills of uh, that area of Galilee and and the sea, and uh, he was up there teaching the people. And it's interesting, in this one sermon, 5, 6, and 7, Matthew, a third of it was about money. A third of it was about fear and anxiety. Because God knows where we live, right? So let's take a look at this. Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life. Now, in the Greek, it means don't worry. (laughs) It's very simple. Stop, in fact, if you look at the uh, present tense active, stop worrying. If If you have started to worry, stop it, and don't start worrying if you're not worrying. Because whenever we're anxious, whenever... We're worried. We're doubting the goodness of God, right? We're doubting His goodness. We don't think that He is going to provide. Jesus speaks to this uh, several different times. In fact, in this passage, do not worry is mentioned four different times. So we can see, again, that's very applicable to us. Do not be anxious about your life. That word in the original language means everything. In your life, everything that composes your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Those are the three basic needs what we drink, what we eat, and our clothes. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Well, those are the basics. (laughs) I hope I have those. But Jesus is saying, You don't see the big picture. You don't see your heavenly Father in heaven who wants to provide for you if you'll just trust in Him. Interesting, uh, 
facts I came across this past week about the people who were living in that day in Israel. The poor in Jesus' time. 90% of the people were poor. 80, see, they were farmers. They were living day to day. And they really counted on the rains coming three times a year into the mountains of the snow, that is, and then coming and forming these mountain streams. Because if it didn't snow, there wouldn't be any water. They're also concerned about their crops, obviously, that they have a healthy harvest, and many times that wasn't the case. So with the people who were listening to Jesus, they pretty much lived day to day. No long-term planning, <laughs> per se. They were just trying to survive. 85% were illiterate, and they only had one to three sets of clothing. Can you imagine that, ladies? Oh, mercy. <laughs> a boring way to live, but they didn't have much. It's also interesting to look at life expectancy in Jesus' time. So if we take these ages and say, okay, everybody's born in the same year. So by the time a person reaches the age of six, already one-third of everybody born six years ago is dead. Wow. By age 16, add another 27% to that, 60% are dead by the age of 16. If you go up to age 26, 75% are dead. That's one out of four people making it to the age of 26, and everybody else dies. By age 46, 90% of the people were dead. Only 10% living. Only a few people got into their 60s. Friends, these people were living in very precarious situations. And this is what Jesus was saying to them. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, in the area of Galilee, it's very unusual that you have all different types of birds that migrate there. For some reason, in that area of the world. So there's all these exotic birds around. Again, Jesus always in his parables used things that people could see, so it's more understandable. Look at all the birds that are flying over. So look at the birds of the air. They're right there, right? They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Have you ever seen a bird that stockpiles worms? <laughs> right? Oh, man, I don't know about the next month. I got as many worms as possible so that I'll have enough for the future. They don't even think about that. How about your cat? Is your cat anxious about their food? Well, of course they're not because they are your master and they know that you'll do anything for them. Now, dogs, uh, they just need love, that's all. <laughs> yeah, they're not thinking about that type of thing. They don't have the capacity to think in that way, but we do. It's a blessing to be made in the image of God. But at the same time, wow, we can come up with a lot of bad scenarios for our life. 
It's natural that we do that, but it's not right. Because we want to trust in the Father. Are you not of more value than they? Does God value you more than a bird? What do you think? Yeah, right? He created us to have fellowship with him. So if these birds are always in the present moment just doing whatever, (laughs) hey, God cares about us. If he provides for the birds, he certainly is going to provide for us. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Now, span was a cubit, so it was like uh, your elbow to the tip of your finger, roughly around 18 inches. So can you live longer by being anxious? Of course not. You're going to live not as long because the way that anxiety impacts the body, all about the heart, your heart health, your brain health, I mean, anxiety is one of the worst things you can do on a constant basis in regards to the health of your body. So the question is, why are we anxious? What good is it doing us? You know what? We think that if we're anxious, it will work, right? That's why you do it, right? I'm anxious about that. I'm, I'm right on top of this, and the more I think about it, the more I can control it. Isn't that stupid? But that's the way we think. So we live with an anxiety-ridden life, thinking, oh, I just got to control everything. You know, you're you're a control freak. You're trying to get everything to go your way, and things aren't, and you're stressed out, you're frustrated. Again, it doesn't work. So why do it? But one thing does work, and that's trusting in God. Yeah, we talked about last week that we all struggle with uncertainty. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next year? And, and so forth. And all these different areas of my life. And you can't really say. Because anything can happen at any time. And that's why it's so freeing when you come to God. You say, God, I'm going to trust in you with all these things. I have no idea you know, how my child is going to get back on track. I have no idea to pay off this debt, whatever. I have no idea, but I know you can guide me, and I'm wasting my time worrying. So I'm not going to have pointless thoughts. I'm going to have productive thoughts. Okay, I have financial needs. Well, let's study up on finances. Let's look at the Bible, what God has to say about finances. But don't worry about it. It's so foreign to us. And you got to remember You're anxious for a purpose. You actually think that you're controlling something when you're anxious about it. And does that make sense? No, it does not. Matthew 6, 28, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. You can imagine Jesus Christ there on that hill, and the hill was just covered with wildflowers, covered with lilies. So look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. You ever seen a frustrated flower? (laughs) Well, no, that doesn't happen, right? 
Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, Solomon was the richest man known in that day. And, of course, he could create any type of clothes that he wanted. But even Solomon was not arrayed like a... You ever taken a real close look at a, a flower and just really studied it and the intricacies of the way God designed it and, and the beauty? I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? It's like, wow, God created this. This is very valuable. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? So what happened in that day, if they wanted to get their earthen ovens going real quickly, they would throw the wildflowers in there. So if God goes to all this work, creating uh, these these wildflowers, it will last maybe 24 hours sometimes. And look at what he's done. He's created us. He's brought us into this world. And he loves us. And that really is one of the core beliefs, I think, that people all struggle with. Okay, God, I know God loves me, all that kind of stuff. But will he really come through? Will he really answer my prayers? And a lot, different degrees, but... A lot of you think, well, I don't think that's the case. And so you resort to worry instead of prayer. How often, you should, how often should you pray? As many times as you're anxious. You're going to have a pretty good prayer life, right? <laughs> if you tend to struggle uh, with anxiety. Because the answer is found in him. Therefore, do not be anxious. There we see it again, right? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. So he's talking about non-Jewish people in that day who did not know about God, as the Israelites did. And so, yeah, they have every reason to be concerned, right? But our Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. The amazing thing about being a Christ follower is you engage in life, and life is challenging you, but you know that God is in control, that He loves you, that He wants to supply all your needs. Often have a conversation with people. How do people live without Jesus in their lives? And, you know, it's interesting, I think, because as the Holy Spirit opens people's eyes to the magnificent gospel, uh, they see life in a totally different way. And, of course, our worldview changes. There's a God. He sacrificed his son. I'm in relationship with him. And, and because we have that knowledge, God has given that to us, we say, how else could one live? But the people who don't know Jesus don't have any other way to live. That's why we need to continue to pray for those people in our life who do not know uh, the Lord. I was just talking with uh, someone out there. Yeah, it was Gordon, Gordon Courtney Johnson. And they said that they had brought their, their, a bus buddy 
that their little girl has. And she came to Wana, and she also came to church with her family. And then they had another family come to church with them. Isn't that great? Isn't that what it's all about? I know many times you're inviting people or engaging, and they're just not interested at all. So everybody that does respond, we need to thank God for it because we want to tell them the greatest news ever. Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's quite a promise, isn't it? All of our needs. Now, it's not all of our greeds. Okay. <laughs> Many times we identify our greeds. I've got to have that. Everybody else, you, you really don't have to have that. You'd like to have it. Nothing wrong with having it. But, you know, we're talking about basic needs here that God uh, supplies. It's so difficult in our area, especially in regards to how God has blessed us materially. And it's really our dependence upon materialism and things in life that keep us from going to God in prayer. When was the last time you prayed for food on the table? Well, I mean, it's always there, right? Go to the store. And they take it for granted. They didn't take it for granted back in Jesus' day. Or how many times, uh, you know, have you prayed about new clothes, or you prayed for a purchase. This is a good principle. Pray before you pay. So let's say uh, that you're in need of something. Instead of just rushing to the store or getting on the Internet and going to Amazon or wherever and trusting in Visa or trusting in MasterCard, Yeah, sometimes going in debt for stuff we really don't need. We really, I'd say majority of us, you know, we live like God is not a good heavenly father. And he doesn't love us. We've just learned to live with atheists, atheists, right? We can get along. That's what the world teaches us. So we always have God as our backup. We've had our home flooded many times when we first moved uh, to this area. And there's so many wonderful church people who helped us put in a whole drainage system. And, and we've got a big sump pump, man, a big sump pump to remove all that water. But then we have an emergency sump pump, this little backup sump pump, right, that's hooked up to the battery so if the lights go out, you know, we can still keep getting the water out. And I tell you what, a lot of us, have God as a powerful sump pump in our lives, and we're the backup sump pump, and we're trying to handle everything. That's not going to work. Well, it's worked to this point. I mean, you know how rich your life has been. We've got to realize God is the main sump pump. God is the one who can drive our lives and guide us and encourage us and provide for us. Stop living like you're the only one who can make this life happen. That's the maturity path that you go through as you you grow as a disciple of Christ. You learn more and more that I've got to seek out Jesus Christ. Now, 
this particular verse is in a context that talks about giving. Paul was saying to the people in Philippi, they'd give him a gift. They, they couldn't afford it. They were just so generous. And he says, thank you, thank you so much. So typically in Scripture, when you have a promise, there's a premise, okay? So God is going to promise to do this in your life if you do this. Say, what? That doesn't sound right. Well, yeah, I mean, God wants you to grow in your faith and your dependence upon him. And the only way you're going to do that is put it in God's hands. So let's look at the five premises for this promise. God will meet all my needs if I put Jesus first in my life. If I put Jesus first in my life. Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You see, God designed us in such a way that we need to be in a relationship with him and we need to be totally dependent upon him. So what happens is, though, we get easily tempted to turn to other things uh, like your career or certain possessions or popularity. And it goes on and on in terms of the idols that we worship, that we give more energy to those things than we do to God. But this is where we need to constantly be growing. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these things. But first of all, you've got to put Jesus first. And, of course, first of all, you need to accept Christ's forgiveness of sin that he uh, did on the cross and rose again from the dead. And then... The next place you need to do is you need to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. You need to say, God, Jesus, you're in charge. I'm going to follow you. And that, again, is a growth process. As you continue to mature, you're able to seek God more and say, hey, you're first in everything that I do. The second thing, God will meet all my needs if I pray and expect him to answer. <laughs> a lot of people pray, but they don't really believe God's going to do anything because they've never seen him do anything else in their lives. You know? They don't expect an answer. Now, the answer can be no, yes, or wait. But, but pray to God expecting that he is going to do great things. Matthew seven eleven. If you then who are evil, Jesus says, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask him. If you're a Christ follower, God's your dad. Can you imagine a six-year-old going up to his dad and saying, Dad, you know, I'm getting older now, learning things, and are you sure that we're going to have food in the, in the refrigerator next week? I know there's a lot of food there, but I'm thinking about tomorrow. I mean... Are you, are you going to do that? Are you sure the electric lights are going to continue to illumine us? I mean, I'm not sure. I'm getting kind of anxious about this. Well, a six-year-old doesn't do that, right? Because a six-year-old simply trusts in his heavenly Father. 
It's not even an issue. I know that God's going to take care of me. And that's what we need to continue to ask the Holy Spirit to solidify within us in trust in the Heavenly Father. If I'm His child, He is going to care for me. And I'm going to ask for things. The uh, verb ask is used 40 different times in the New Testament. Ask, ask, and you'll find, right? Ask, 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 ask. And I feel that when most people uh, uh, are going through a period when their spiritual life is just flat, many times it could be that they're not asking because they got everything under control. They think, and again, God for emergency. So think of this. Think about this with me. How many times in the last week did you ask God for something? Did you ask God for something? What happens is we say, oh, well, you know, God's not that concerned about me, or I just like to control things. And, and therefore, yeah, life is just like living without Jesus. What I want to encourage you guys to do as we go throughout this summer is say, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. If I have something I need that I cannot financially pay for at this time, I'm not going to trust in MasterCard. I'm just going to pray about it and bring it to God. I was talking with a person this week, and they prayed for a car, and God gave them a car, and that car broke down. God gave them another car. You know, you could pray for a car. <laughs> God is amazing as he takes care of us. I was talking with Bess Manzella. Uh, she's a realtor, and she started about two years ago. And, yeah, that's a big step, being a realtor, stepping into that. But God has blessed her along the way. And he's provided business for her. And she was just joyful about that. Do you have stories like that that you can look back on and you say, well, this happened and that happened and God came through here and God came through there. If you do have a story, be sure to write it down, right? You won't forget it and tell other people about it. But if you really want to experience God, I, th- I think the best proof for the existence of God is answered prayer. Don't you think so? I mean, things happen. Hey, that should not have happened. It's a supernatural answer to prayer. But so many of us don't give God the opportunity to work. We short-circuit what God wants to do in our life by trying to control things. So as you move out from here, I would encourage you. Make a, a small prayer list and really start to pray with your spouse, whoever. Uh, these things would happen. Tell other people if they can help pray. And you will start a new spiritual adventure. The third premise, if I obey God's financial principles. There's all kinds of financial principles in Scripture. Proverbs 28, 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. What's the principle? Don't try to get rich. Quick. Right? These pyramid pyramid schemes out there just trying to take your money. But you also have multi-level marketing. That's not a bad thing per se. 
But the problem is that many times people are encouraged to do that when they really don't have the skills to do that, right? So they invest in it, and the year it's gone. Sort of look at the statistics for that one. But, uh, you know, Mary, <laughs> Mary Lori uh, had a Mary Kay business, and she was, I, I encouraged her in that, and uh, yeah, she's just totally opposite from me, thankfully, she is. And so I said, we got to move this thing, okay? So I started making calls for Mary Kay. <laughs> hey, would you like to come to a party, or would you like to host a party? Because that's me, right? And I didn't get very far. I know there are some men who are Mary Kay men, I guess, uh, but that doesn't fit me. <laughs> Yeah, we need to trust in him and realize that we've got to be careful about how we steward our resources. There's all kinds of principles in Scripture. In fact, if you look on your sermon insert, at the very bottom on the back, there's Crown Financial, their website. That's a great place to go in terms of learning what God has to say about managing uh, your money. Also, we're going to talk about Financial Peace University here uh, in a second. So there is hope. What you do is you take the time that you're usually worrying and get somebody to help you out, to come along as a partner. That's always very encouraging. And move forward with productive work. God will meet all my needs if I practice contentment. Practice contentment. That's hard to do, is it? Very hard to be content. I've always been amazed at Paul. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, the people of Philippi had just given him this gift. He says, thank you, but if you hadn't given the gift, that would be okay too. There are times in life when Paul was doing very well (laughs) before he became a Christ follower. There are many times when Life was not going well at all for Paul. And he had learned the secret of contentment. As we've talked about before, don't compare yourself with other people. I know that's been happening in the room today. Uh, Many of you have been looking at me and say, why can't I just have Pastor Dan's good looks? Why? Hey, not too much laughter here. i got a self-esteem. All right. Why was he given the beauty? Why is he so handsome? You know, why? Why? But we're doing that all the time, as we've talked about, right? We're always comparing. And that will lead to discontentment right away. Majority of people live in discontentment all their lives, right? Because you should have more. Well, you shouldn't have more. You should have the necessities. But you need to be content with what you have. And you really need to practice contentment. See, contentment doesn't naturally, you know, flow into your mind. You got to practice it. You got to go home and look at everything that you have and say, I am content with this house. (laughs) Now, again, you might want to improve some things, but hey, I'm content. This is what God has given me because that's what we never do. We only look at what God hasn't given us, how God hasn't blessed us, how God hasn't provided so we can get all the things we need. You've got to practice it. You've got to get in your car and thank God for this car, even though I had to pay $433 for brakes this week. But thank God 
Or this car, this is a car that God gave me and to open up your closets. Thank God for all of my clothes. I have so many clothes. Clothes that I don't fully appreciate, right? Some of you have clothes for a while, oh, not style, whatever. I fully appreciate all your clothes. Try on your different clothes. Hey, look, I have this outfit. I am so content. <laughs> you really have to, I'm, I'm serious. You have to practice contentment because it doesn't come naturally. So you just go through your week and I'm so content with my job. Of course, I'd like the perfect environment, but I am so glad that I have a job, number one. I'm so glad that it provides for our needs, number two. And God's the one who gave it to me. Yeah, it's work. Work is difficult. Work is frustrating. What's new, right? But practice contentment. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why can you be content? Because Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We're looking at eternity here, guys. That's when it really gets great. That we're so frustrated and consumed with this life. And say, oh, I should have this, I should have that. You know, here's the interesting thing. Do you trust in God? For your eternity? When you die, do you believe you'll go to heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross? Well, of course. I'm really thankful for that. Well, what about trusting him this week? Well, eternity is one thing. Okay. <laughs> but how this is going to go or that's going to go, that's a totally different story. Yeah, it's because we're all control freaks, right? We want certainty. And God says, accept uncertainty, and you know I will be there no matter what happens in your life. The fifth premise, if I practice the law of the harvest. Again, another uh, passage about giving to God, talking about the Macedonian churches who were so impoverished, but they gave more than they were able to give. Paul says the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So you determine how God is going to bless you in one respect by how much you focus yourself on Him, how much you seek after Him, how how many times you're thinking about Him. And you give to Him as the Lord leads you to give and That is what unleashes your heart because it's all about the money. You can't serve both God and money. Why? Because you're trusting in one of them. And most of us have a hard time believing in God unless we can see the numbers on a paper. But that's what he's saying. I mean, if you have a farmer who's down to his last barrel of wheat seed, is he just going to stand there and say, well, I'm not going to plant this. It's the end, you know. I will just sit back and eat wheat seeds. No, what he does is he plants those seeds. Whatever God has given him, he plants the seeds. And again, if he plants for five acres, he's not going to get 20 acres, is he? Well, of course not. So sometimes we say, okay, God, here's a little bit of my life, a little bit of my resources and energy, 
And what are you going to get back? A little bit. Now, God's always going to give you. But the idea is, is the more you step out in faith and say, okay, God, I'm going to increase my giving to wherever you lead me, and I'm going to trust in you that you will provide. Now, that's, that doesn't make any sense at all when you think about it. <laughs> Unless you believe there's a supernatural heavenly Father who wants to show up in your life. Do you want God to show up? Well, start praying. Start exercising faith. Start giving of whatever you have. That's what's going to open the door of your heart to God. And then he's really going to start to do some, some beautiful things. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You should never feel pressured to give, right? Because the way God counts it, if you have a cheerful heart, when you understand, oh, yes, this is to help me to grow deeper in my relationship with God. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And God just wants to fill your life with blessings. He wants you to be content. Again, this is why we study Scripture, right? This is God's truth, and He works through it. I quickly want to read a story uh, that speaks about trusting in God. One night at age 56, I was broke discouraged and ill in a sanitarium in Battle Creek, Michigan. I felt that I would never see the dawn of another day. I got up, wrote farewell letters to my wife, to my oldest son. I sealed the letters. If I did sleep, it was not a sound sleep. I rose early, went down the mezzanine floor, found in the dining room was open. Suddenly over in the corner of the mezzanine, I heard the singing of an old Christian song, God will take care of you. You can imagine how heavy my heart was when I went in. Yet after I heard that song, God will take care of you, I came out of that room at that moment a changed man. Within a few moments, my life was transformed. It was almost as if I had had a new birth. God did take care of me. He did save me. And ever since then, I've been trying to serve him. When I finally got back on my feet, I enjoyed materially more than I ever had before. I had gained immeasurably in spiritual wealth for I had learned to turn to God for guidance in all the acts and decisions of my life. Who wrote that? J.C. Penney. Isn't that amazing, huh? You should think about that every time you go by a penny store, right? I'm not going to say you're going to come up with this big retail chain. All I'm saying is, if you ask, if you trust, and you say, okay, God, I want to see some fireworks. I want to see you in action. So I'm going to put this prayer list together. I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to get other people to pray for it. I'm going to watch what happens, and you'll be amazed, won't you? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I tell you, Lord, financial fear is uh, very difficult to deal with. And I just pray that you will have moved our hearts toward trusting in you, toward putting you first, towards living in the way you would want us to. 
Not because it's all about good works, but it's what you desire us to do and you give us the strength to do it. Lord, I pray for myself and my friends here. I pray that we would go home today and pray about, pray before we pay, number one, and just continue to bathe in your love and generosity. In Christ's name, amen.